part of uh, one of the hardest things in life uh, for us who believe that God's out there or maybe are, you know, hope that God's out there. Um, we we want to believe that God's out there, and yet it's really, really hard to know what God's up to. Uh, Christians and, and, and people who are interested in faith are, are always wondering, is God a part of this or not? Sometimes, sometimes we get, uh, we get kicked in the face by God, and that's awesome. I mean, it hurts, but it's awesome. And that's where, like, you just cannot deny that something divine is happening in your life. Uh, you experience something, you're like, okay, that's real. Definitely, I can't, I can't deny it, that's real. Um, occasionally, uh, something you know, miraculous happens, a sign or a wonder, something that you know, blows your mind, uh, you can't believe it, it must be God. Yes, that happens from time to time. But for the most part, for the most part, we're stuck in a, in a cycle kind of of discernment. Trying to, trying, to, trying to peer back behind the veil and say, God, okay, I believe you're out there. I'm trying to figure out what you're doing, what you're up to. Wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't it be awesome if we had like a, a way of discerning, a way of knowing where God is at work, a way of finding out where he is? Um, this is the question I would like to have uh, in the back of our minds today. Um, it's going to be up here on the screen. How do we know if God is at work? In fact, where should we look? Maybe some red flags could go up where we could say, okay, that might be a place where God is, is at work and God is doing something. This is important. This matters because when God is doing something, that's something that, that is eternal. That's something that lasts much longer than this life. That's something that's deep and real and full and satisfying and, and true rather than the kind of, you know, the, the, the chaff and, and, the, and the boring sort of mundane stuff that goes through life. If only we had a surefire way of recognizing where God is, what he's up to, and, and if, then maybe we could be a part of it. We could, we could join in. Today we're going um, to journey through a, a lot of different texts in the Gospel of John. And, and, and it, it's going to be an opportunity to look at the cross maybe a different way than you've ever thought about it before. Maybe a, a way of seeing what Jesus did in a new light, something you've never really considered um, and yet, I think, as we're traveling through it and we're, we're reconfiguring a way of looking at the cross, I, I think that what we're going to ultimately get to is a sense or, or a, a, a flag, a, a sign, an idea of what it looks like when God's doing something. Something that we can look in our own lives, in our church life, in our community life, and say, I want to find that, and I want to be a part of that. So just keep that in the back of your mind. It's, 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 it might be, it'll be a little circuitous to get there, but I promise you that we will land. And so the first thing I would like us to do is I would like us to, to consider the way that John um, writes about the, the crucifixion of Christ. And this one pivotal moment, this very strange moment in the Gospel of John uh, where, where we read this. This is uh, John 20, 34 to 35. Uh, Jesus has, has given up his spirit. Um, he says, it is finished, and has given up his spirit. He's hanging on the cross, and then this happens. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. The one who saw this has testified. His testimony is true. He knows that he speaks the truth. He has testified so that you also can believe. For the first thing that you notice about this is, uh, it's very strange. I've, I've not participated in too many stabbings in my life. Uh, but when I have seen people uh, pierced by things, typically what comes out is blood, not water. Uh, when you, the next time that you're watching one of these, uh, these movies where like there's a clown that goes around and, you know, 
kills people. You'll notice that they don't spend a lot of time spraying water on the screen. That's not interesting. They're spraying blood. But notice that, that John, he points out, he says, blood and water. He makes a big deal about it. In fact, he goes on, he, he says, the one who saw this has testified, and his testimony is true. In the ancient world, you rarely would talk about yourself in the first person when you're telling a story. Okay? Uh, so when you're, when you're telling a story, especially if the story uh, might make you look really good, uh, make you, give you some status, you always refer to yourself in the third person. And so when John writes, the one who saw this has testified, he's saying, I was there. I saw this with my own eyes. It's a very strange thing to, to, to notice. Why, why is that so important? This, uh, this last verse there, verse 35, is sort of the ancient world's equivalent of him, him breaking down and being like, look guys, I was there, I know what's happened, I know it seems crazy, but you've got to believe me, I, I, with my own eyes, I saw it. That's kind of the feel of verse 35 in, in the context of ancient literature. Guys, I know it's nuts. I know it's crazy that when you stab somebody, water comes out, but I saw it, I believe it, and I'm telling you because you need to believe it too. How weird. Why is that so important? Why does that matter? Uh, I have a, a picture. Um, this is from the Greek Orthodox, uh, a, a Greek Orthodox believer who um, has this, uh, this take on, 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 on what's going on with the crucifixion where you can see the, 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 the red blood is, is spraying out, but then there's also this, this, this blue-white water that's spraying out. And it's like, and it, for this artist, something really important has just happened. Something really substantive has, has taken place. And there are explanations. Uh, people will give you explanations for, you know, how it is that the piercing took place. Maybe Jesus' lungs had filled up with water, and so the piercing had... had had gotten some of the water of the lungs to come out. That's possible. We don't know. But we do know that John thinks it's a really big deal. Why? Let's look at another text. This is um, interesting. This is uh, from John 3, very early on in the gospel. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He's a teacher in Israel, and he has, and he has a sense that Jesus has some special knowledge, some special uh, interesting things to say. And Nicodemus says, how can a, be, a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Notice um, parallel there, the water and the spirit. What um, In the ancient world, uh, you would think of birth as being something that happens through water, right? And for those of you who have had the, the <laughs> immense pleasure of, of watching a birth happen, you know that, that this is true. That it's not just um, bleeding that takes place, but also um, a great deal of, of fluid that the baby has been, you know, amniotic fluid, I think, where the baby has been, there, that comes out. You know, we talk about the water breaking, right? And so the ancient world, they knew this. They were very familiar with, with uh, the, the intricacies of birth. And so they would talk about a normal human birth is being a birth from water, right? And Jesus says, yeah, you got to have one of those. You got to have a birth by water. You also got to have one from the spirit. You've got to have a spiritual birth too. That which is born of the flesh, that's a water birth, is a water birth. It's flesh, it's human. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. It's interesting, we, um, for those of you who've been around a while, you know that um, this language of being born again has uh, kind of fallen out of favor 
uh, in the evangelical world, which is interesting. It's very interesting because uh, in the 70s and the 80s and the early 90s, probably about 25 years, you couldn't talk to an evangelical in North America without being, hey, brother, have you been born again? Uh, in fact, my own father had a born-again experience at a, at a Billy Graham uh, revival. You know, he, he was taught this language of, of you, you have to have something new, a new spiritual birth, and it happens through faith. Has that happened for you? Our own church has kind of like a, a, a sort of a Baptist-y uh, tradition, and Baptists are very interested in that moment where you believe, you make a decision, you know that it's happened. Something has to have happened. It's got to be real. It's got to be change. You, you're, you were this old flesh and blood person. Now you're a person of spirit. There's eternal life bubbling up in you. And, 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 and for some reason, this language has kind of, uh, has kind of uh, dis- disappeared almost from evangelical uh, conversation, which is strange. Um, I think part of it has to do with the fact that uh, people who say that they've been born again um, still sort of do all the same stuff that they did before they were born again. Uh, and so they have this new life, but they also maybe um, haven't lived quite up to it yet. And so they maybe feel guilty and they don't want to advertise that they've been born again, because then people might expect them uh, to be better than they are. Maybe something like that. I'm not sure. But it is interesting that that language, right here in the Gospel of John, at the core, you know, John 3.16, believe, and you know, eternal life, right? It's right there, this born-again language. And then kind of disappears. In fact, if you read through the Gospel of John, he doesn't mention this again. And so it sort of brings up this question that we have to answer. It's like, well, okay, if there's birth that happens, if there's a second birth, where does it happen? When does it happen? What, what do we make of this language? It's, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, opaque and mysterious. In fact, I have a, um, one of my favorite uh, paintings of um, this conversation. I think this is a Dutch Reformed artist from the 17th century. I can't pronounce his name. It's like, Scissor Hawking. I think that's... That was pretty close. I, I did the Google thing where it pronounces the name for you, and that's, that's what Google said. So, Jesus uh, talking to us. And uh, he, what, what's cool about this painting is um, the contrast between the darkness and the light, right? Nicodemus is ashamed, and he's scared, and, and he's, he's probably from the darkness in a way. But he, he knows that there's something special, some, some new information, new light that Jesus can shine. And so you see how, like, the candles are the center uh, that would draw your eyes in the painting, um, noting that the, the light that Jesus is giving in this, in this obscure, mysterious teaching about new birth, that, that this um, holds the key, holds the mysterious key to something very, very important. I have another text. This is from John 7, um, the festival of the booths. Uh, Jesus says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit hadn't been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The, uh, that, uh, this, I'm sorry, not the fest, uh, I don't think this is booze. It might be booze, but this is right after he's uh, talked to the woman at the well. Um, and you notice that living water. Uh, that's a, a Greek euphemism. Um, it was, John didn't invent it. It really just meant fresh and flowing water. Uh, that's what you would call it in, in the ancient world. When, um, as opposed to like a stagnant pond where you wouldn't want to drink out of it because you'd probably get dysentery um, 
or Girardia or something like that. This is the fresh, uh, vivacious, you know, water. It's like you've just built this well and it's filling up with water and, and there's so much that you can just spread it around and, and there's so much that you just keep getting more and more and more because it's alive almost and that's how the euphemism, um, was developed. But, but rivers of living water will come out of believers. There's going to be a spirit that's inside of them that's, that's so, it's so alive and so powerful that it just, it just overflows out of them into the world. And then you notice at the end, um, when, when is this spirit going to happen? When is it all going to take place? Well, it hasn't taken place yet because Jesus hasn't been glorified. When John talks about Jesus' glorification, he's talking about his crucifixion. When he's lifted up and all look at him. And so until the moment of glorification, the Spirit is not yet given. And if we think about that, and when we think back to that, that, that um, first painting I showed you of, um, of Jesus with the, the blood and the water coming out, isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that, that, that when Jesus is being crucified, that, that the water, the, almost maybe the living water, starts pouring out of him. If you've been listening to these cues in John, you've been hearing these textual cues, and John himself has witnessed all of this, and he's looking at Jesus as Jesus is being crucified, and he sees a fountain of water pouring out of him. John says, oh my gosh, it's happening. Right now, I am bearing witness to the moment when the Spirit is being poured out into the world. This is the first thing in your note sheets. The water that spills from Jesus' side represents the spirit that animates those who are born again. And you're like, what does that have to do with, with finding out where God's up, what God's up to? Hold on to it. Wait for it. Wait for it. The water that spills from Jesus' side represents the spirit that animates those who are born again. This is, this is crazy. This is, um, this is some weird, some weird stuff. I want you to look, uh, listen, um, to what Jesus says after he's been raised from the dead. Okay? This is a John 20, 17 to 18. Jesus has been uh, raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene goes to like pour stuff on him in the tomb. Um, and then she sees a gardener. The tomb's empty. She sees a gardener. And, and Jesus says, Hey, Mary, it's me. And she's like, Oh, teacher, Lord, there you are. And she recognizes Jesus the first time. And Jesus says this, Don't hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Instead, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. What does Mary Magdalene do? She goes to his brothers, who are the disciples. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, if you're not paying really close attention to John's language, if you're not really focused on what he's saying, that you just kind of go right over that. Like, oh, yeah, okay, neat. Here's a cool fact. Um, when Jesus uses uh, the term Father, he, in the Gospel of John, he uses it 120 times. Literally 120 times, he says, my Father, or, you know, the Father. In not one of those instances, literally not one of 120 times that Jesus says this, does he refer to God as anyone's Father but his own? Never once has anyone else been a child of the Father except for Jesus in the Gospel of John until this very moment. My father and your father. Moreover, throughout the Gospel of John, we've been told who Jesus' brothers are. I want to show you who Jesus' brothers are. This is um, a couple of texts from, uh, oh, 
I don't know why I put that in there, but that's Mary Magdalene telling the apostles about the risen Lord. Next. After this, <laughs> after this he went down to Capernaum. This is uh, at the beginning of the Gospel of John. With his mother and brothers and his disciples. So he's got brothers. Those are his you know, fleshly brothers, other children of Mary that he's grown up with. And then over here he has his disciples. Uh, later in John 7, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples, who are not us, your brothers, there may see the works you do. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. Up until this moment when Jesus has been raised from the dead, uh, no one's had a father that's God except for Jesus, and Jesus' brothers were his flesh and blood brothers, not his disciples. And now his disciples have become family. Something tremendous has happened at the crucifixion. Something bizarre has taken place where people who were far off from God, who were different away, they have now become family, children of God. Now God is their father in a new and special way. Now they're family with Jesus. He has become brother to them, family in a way that they weren't. Before they were just followers. Look at that. My brothers, I am ascending to my father and your father. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told him that, the, that he had said these things to her. If you take all these cues and, 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 you, and you remember that, that picture of the water and the blood um, pouring out of Jesus' side, I think what John has been kind of hinting at and, and, and being subtle about throughout his text is that, this is the next thing in your, your note sheets, that, that the crucifixion of Christ is a birth scene. This is when birth is happening, new birth. The birth that he promised to Nicodemus is happening right there. The cross, his sufferings on the cross are God's labor. God's labor pains bearing spiritual children into the world. This might be a little bit of a strange way to think about the cross, but I, I suggest that the language that John uses kind of pushes us into it. And it's a fascinating idea, the idea that, 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 that every woman who's ever given birth knows that that new life comes through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. And God knows that, and God does not excuse himself from that kind of suffering when he wants to give birth, when he wants to make something new, when he wants to bring new life into the world. I think I have a picture here of Air Bear. Oh, I had one that was a little more scandalous. It was like right after the birth had taken place. I think that's Alice. It might be Olivia. They all kind of look the same. Uh, your children... They don't really, they don't, the only one I'm sure of is the dog. That's Piper. I know, that, I know who that is. I think, I think that's my firstborn, but maybe not. You know, they don't really get like a personality to like four. <laughs> I had a more scandalous picture, um, but I, it, was, it was like right after, and it's, it's this uh, the shot where Erin's still in her, um, her hospital gown, and uh, Alice has just been put into her arms. And I, I love it. It's, it's, it's this... It's almost like a beatific vision photo because I had been privy to what had just taken place for the, the previous several hours. And it was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And I hope never... Well, I did see it again. Here's a true... This is a true fact. So um, I have two daughters in case you're wondering. Um, when uh, when Aaron um, was giving birth to Alice, the doctor screwed up the epidural. He missed... Um, yeah, 
And so, so uh, Aaron's like, she's like, you know, I, I'm not sure that worked because I'm still feeling everything. <laughs> I'm like, well, isn't it dull? And she's like, no. And that was before things got intense. And then things got intense. And uh, I was like, okay, honey, um, good luck. I'll, I'll be back in a few hours. Make sure everything worked out great. She's like, get your butt back here. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a very competitive person. I like people just to have fun and get along. Aaron is a competitor. Aaron wants to win. And I, what I witnessed during her labor is something truly, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was at, at the same time horrific and inspiring because she sort of like bit down. She's not here. I wish she were here. To, Alice threw up last night, so she's gone. Anyway, hopefully she'll watch it on the, check us out. We have video, hello video, on, the, uh, on our website. Go watch any of our sermons. All right. Uh, she's, she, she was there, and she was, she was focused really gritting down, like, like, like clenching her teeth. And um, if you know the old tennis player, Monica Seles, Monica Seles was famous for every time she hit the ball, she'd go, ah! And this apparently bothered her, um, her opponents because it distracted them. <laughs> they were hearing her grunt, uh, and they couldn't hit the ball. Well, Monica Seles has nothing on my wife. And uh, when, uh, when Aaron, like, grunt, when she, when she grunts, you can tell it's serious stuff. She was roaring like a lion. Uh, as, as this was taking place. And, um, and that, was the, uh, that was the point where I started to laugh um, because I didn't know how else to deal with what I was witnessing. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, 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 and so she goes through this thing, push, 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 I'm laughing. Uh, and she's looking at me like, I can't believe I married you. And I'm like, I hope that's my kid. You know, awesome. It was a great moment in our marriage. Um, and, then, uh, and then finally, finally Alice, um, Alice, <laughs> comes out, and she's not the only thing that came out. A lot of blood and water came out as well, FYI. Um, and uh, so Aaron was being sutured um, because anatomically, you've got to wonder if, how, what kind of plan God has such that that is how new, new people come into the world. Fascinating stuff. Anyway, um, so she's being fixed up, and, and I'm sitting there being like, oh my gosh, this is Alice. Hello, small infant. And, that, and Alice is being bathed and prepared or whatever. Aaron is drenched in sweat. Um, and, and then finally, uh, after a few minutes, once they've gotten the baby together and, and she's you know, been um, prepared, they, they hand the baby in, into her arms. And, I mean, you can, you can see just a little bit of, of what, what it looked like when she was holding Alice. It was like all of this... Um, all of this pain, all of this uh, horror uh, was, was worth it because um, of what came after. That, that this um, exertion, this force, this pain, was, um, was, it was in between us and this goal of, of having this, this baby, this new person that we were going to get to meet and get to love and, and, and meet and all of that. And, and it, was, and it was, wasn't a sure thing, you know? Like, the middle of labor is, you're like, oh my goodness. I, I feel blessed that we have, you know, first world health care, but in the history of the world, this has been a very, very dangerous moment in a woman's life when, when she's really right at the edge of death um, as she's bringing a child into the world. Uh, and, and you can see what that would be like if you didn't have, you know, IVs and all this stuff. Uh, and yet, all of that, all of that is somehow worth it. All of it's somehow worth it uh, to get through, to, to battle through, to engage and, and, and fight um, in order to have uh, this little baby. Now, 
the ultimate point, of course, is, is that birth hurts. I mean, birth really hurts. And for some reason, uh, John sees, John, that's in your note sheets, birth hurts. Uh, John, John sees in Christ this moment where God says, I'm going to hurt too when I give you birth. I am not going to excuse myself. I'm not going to let myself off the hook. I'm going to do what every single woman has done throughout history to bring a new child into the world. I'm going to go through it too because, because like her, I know the value. I know it's worth it to get to that thing in the end. I know it's worth it to have you as my family, to have you as my children, to make you a part of the divine family. It's worth it to me. And I am willing to go through this because I want you to be mine. And like uh, the births, especially outside of the first world, this birth ended in a death. This one, when the, the blood and water come out, it is finished. Jesus gave up his spirit. That spirit comes to us through faith, but it cost. Now imagine, if you will, just think, think for a moment with me. If this is what God did, to bring us new life. If this is how new life comes into the world, through labor and through pain, then maybe it's the case. Maybe it's the case that when God is at work now in our lives, when God is doing something, when something is being generated from, from, from God, then maybe it looks just like the cross. Maybe it looks just like labor. Maybe it looks just like the pain that a woman has to go through in order to bring new life into the world. Maybe it's the case that wherever God is at, is acting, what we should expect to find is pain. Let that sink in for a minute. That's not the happy, that's not the happy, hey, you know, God's going to make you rich. That's not that gospel. This is, this is a gospel that says when God is up to something, it's going to hurt. It's going to stretch you. It's going to change you. It's going to maybe disfigure you a little bit. It's going to wrench you. And it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be like it might, things might not work out. Maybe our expectation of where it is that God is at work, what God is up to, maybe our expectation is wrong because we're, we're, not, we're not seeing it through the lens of the cross. We're not seeing it as the labor of God. If you're willing to go with me on that for a second, then, then I, I've kind of come up with like maybe four uh, signs that the labor of God is actually taking place in our lives right now. They're not in your note sheets. If you want to write them down, you can. Um, but these are the four signs that the labor of God is taking place somewhere in our lives, somewhere in our community, somewhere in our family, in our work life, something like that. And the first thing is um, it's th- this pain, the suffering is not from sin. There's a, there's, a, there's a true fact about sin and that sin causes pain. If you choose to be mired in sin, you will suffer. It's a natural thing that happens in the world. God has set up the world such that continuing to do the wrong thing will cause you to have a lot of pain. That's just how it is. So when you're looking for the labor of God, don't look for the pain and suffering that comes because you're being a knucklehead. Okay? (laughs) That's, That's probably not where God's at work. God might work through that, but that's not probably a project that God is trying to execute in and through you. That's actually something where it's like, oh, the universe is one of those places where if you continue to run from God and do things your own way, it's going to be bad for you. And so when you're seeing that in your life, don't, don't be like, oh, this is, this is great. This is, yeah, so suddenly God's at work. And it's like, he might work through that, but really that pain is something that you kind of brought on yourself. 
Second thing, it could succeed or fail. I'm telling you, when, uh, I think Aaron's first labor was like two, maybe three hours, something like that, and um, relatively short, I think, as far as these things go. But um, you're, there's a point there where you're like, is, really? Is this going to, where, where's the end game here? You know, the doctor's like, oh, same 10 centimeters, hasn't changed. You're like, mm, really? Because she seems to be working real hard here uh, and, and bleeding and all sorts of different things. How, how is it? And, and you start to wonder whether or not this baby is going to come, whether or not this baby's actually going to get born. When you're after something that you're doing for God, when, you, when, you, when God is at work trying to create one of his projects, something that he's doing in the world, some, some growth, some new thing, there's going to come a point where you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know if this is going to come off. I see all the pain, I see the work, I see the blood, sweat, and tears, but I'm not sure that this thing is actually going to happen. It could go one way or the other. This could be, and for those of you who have experienced something like a stillbirth, I mean, you know the tragedy of it. It's a dangerous, fearful thing. There are no guarantees when God is at work. It gets really scary. You keep getting hurt. You keep getting pushed down. And there's no guarantee that it's going to come off. When you're looking to see where God is at work in your life, look for the places where, yeah, there's pain. Not from sin. Pain that that comes from a desire to to glorify God. And um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But also look for places where it's, it's, it's iffy. It's a, it's, a, it's a coin flip. I, I, don't know. I don't know if this is going to come off. But if it is going to come off, it should be the kind of thing where success advances the kingdom of God. Is that right? Number three. See, okay, yeah, I, successful birth advances the kingdom. Yes. When, if it comes off, if this thing happens, then the kingdom of God is going to be expanded or furthered. This has to be a project that God is involved in to do what God wants to do in the world. To have people come to faith. To have people repent. To have disciples made. To have uh, evils in the world pushed aside and thrown out. Those are the sorts of things that God's involved in. God likes to get dirty and, and messy with those things. God's probably not super concerned about the contents of your 401k. Maybe. But probably not. Unless your 401k, I don't know, is dedicated to... Here's the deal. So I... Again, I wish Jen were here. Jen's, uh, what, which one is throwing up right now? Paisley. Paisley's throwing up. Alice is throwing up. Anybody else got kids throwing up right now? Here's the deal. Don't touch me after the service or Doug because that's almost a surefire way to get norovirus. Um, so I wish Jen were here. Um, Jen uh, has been, I, I think, actually in the middle of, 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 a, of, a, of a labor of God. She, um, she's really passionate about uh, Haiti and working with Grongu. She's really passionate about seeing um, the boys who go through our boys' home come out with a place um, to work and to have a successful you know, life in, in the middle of a, a country that is absolutely devastated economically. And this is something that's so passionate for her that um, she, she's writing letters uh, to foundations. She's engaged with people who are con- trying to come up with um, uh, projects uh, to, to, pr- to create work. She is, and, and everywhere she goes, it's like one, one door gets slammed in her face and then another one opens and, and she feels like, yes, it's happening and then no, it's not. And there's this constant push and shove and she's working and she's bleeding and she's suffering. But she knows, she knows that if this comes 
comes off. If this birth takes place, the kingdom of God will be blessed. It will be advanced. That something that, that is deep in God's heart, the care of orphans, is going to move forward. And so I say that's a flag. That's a flag that says that might be the labor of God. Go on, girl. Keep pushing. The last um, thing I think we need to look for is that it hurts a lot. I, yeah, well, I don't have a very high t- uh, pain tolerance. Um, I'm, you know, opposites attract. Aaron was like, labor, let's do it again. It's like, all right, cool, you're weird. Um, I, no thanks. And then all the guys who've had um, kidney stones or whatever, I, I visited them in the hospital. I'm just like, no thanks. I don't know if I can handle that. Um, Lord, you know, pass that, that travail by. I don't know if I could deal with it. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, I think he's kind of serious. When God's doing stuff, when God's at work in the world, I think it costs us something. I think it hurts. When God wanted to give us our new birth, our second birth, it really, really hurt to the point of death. When we are engaged in the work of God, when we're engaged with his spirit, we're going to hurt too. And it's not probably, for the most part, going to be physical pain, although that happens. It's probably the kind of pain where um, you see your self-worth get sucked away. You're going after something for God, and someone tells you, what a waste of time, give up. It's those days when you're like, ah, no, not really. I I don't know if I can keep doing this because I got nothing left. I'm, I'm poured out. I remember um, when Alice was being born, one of uh, the contractions, Erin uh, just, she kind of tapped out on that one. She just waited for it to end because she was so exhausted, so spent. And she didn't have it for that particular round to, to push and to grit and to fight because it was emptying her of everything she had. Likewise, when we're involved in, in God's labor, in the labor that's going to bring about the, the birth, of the, the projects, and the, and the life that he's interested in, you can expect it to really sap you. But man, it's worth it. Because when, when the project has moved through, when the birth is complete, when um, you see the fruit of, of, of your labor, when you see the blessings that God brings, when you see him setting captives free, when you see him healing uh, the sick, when you see him taking care of the poor and the widows and the orphans, when you see those things happen, when you see people come to faith and experience new life for the first time, when you see people take their lives that were a disaster and, 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 and reform them through repentance, and change, when you see those things take place, when those babies get born, man, it's worth it. The greatest joy comes through the greatest pain. And that means there will be an end to the pain. If it doesn't quit, the labor isn't over yet. Some of us... um, have been battling for a long time with various things, uh, you know, you're at work or, or family life or whatever, um, your mission, your ministry, uh, there's exhaustion, there's, um, you're emptied out, you're poured out. If that's where you are, 
then you haven't got there yet. It's coming. Hang in. But if you find yourself living in that state constantly, never ending, something's very, very wrong. The pain and the suffering that, that, that God um, allows to take place in and through our projects for him, they have an end. They have an end goal. You should not suffer forever. You shouldn't be being ground into the dirt. God is not interested in making you miserable for the rest of your life. What he's interested in is, is laying that newborn baby in your arms and saying, you finished, you did it. And look how beautiful this is. If you're um, interested in following God and getting to know him, um, expect, expect some pain along the way. But be excited because that pain ends in something that's really, really beautiful. If um, you are a new believer and, and, and things aren't as, as, as perfect as you'd hoped that they would be, um, be of good cheer. That will not last forever. There will be victories, mountains and valleys, strikes and gutters. These things um, have their time, and there's, there's a rhythm to them in our lives. And if you're wondering where God is at work, you feel like he's not listening, and you're not sure where he is, and you, and you can't find a place where God is at work in your life, start looking for the places that hurt. And start thinking about whether or not those are the places where he might be active. And then when you find him, Push. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray that um, we will be people who don't shrink uh, from pain when it arises. And I pray that we'll have our eyes open to see where you're active, where you're alive, where you're um, creating something, where you're bringing new life into the world, where you're your mission is being put forward. I pray that we'll find those places that we'll, um, that we'll be willing to endure uh, the challenge and the labor and the work just as you endured the challenge and the labor and the work to bring us life. God, I pray that um, we will be of good cheer knowing um, that the gift of life that, that you give through labor is worth it. That it brings joy in the midst of, of, tri of trial. God, we thank you for your labor in which you gave us birth at the cross and gave us life eternal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.